Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Dr. Deepika Chopra. My passion, calling, and job is really all about blending together holistic practices with real evidence-based science to help people around the world cultivate more optimism, success, and resiliency. You won't want to miss this new podcast as you'll get to hear from elite athletes, recording artists, couples, and maybe even my toddler. So if you're into arming yourself with some new practical happiness tools, join me on Mondays for your morning optimism dose. Oh, and don't forget, things are looking up. Hi, I'm Caroline Stanbury, and I am divorced, not dead. I'm a former Bravo TV star and now former wife. Fresh off the back of my divorce, I'm bringing real stories, real life, real talk on all things that aren't said between each other, society, the sheets, and everything in the middle. And lucky me, you'll be joining me for the journey. So buckle up. Welcome back to another episode of Divorce Not Dead. And I wanted to say happy International Women's Week to all of my amazing followers out there, especially dedicating today's episode to the amazing lady that I've sat down with and had the most incredible chat with for this week's episode. She's so inspirational to me. She's so ahead of her time. She's so brave. She goes out on a limb for people. Her work for women's rights, fighting for people's rights is such an applaudable cause. And she's so ahead of her time. So welcome, Susan Sarandon. Let's start the episode. I don't think I slept last night, Susan. Believe it or not, we, we talk quite a lot via text and we got to know each other. And I love listening to her perspective on life. And I thought to myself, I would love to hear, and especially because for women and we're from you know different generations and looking back, I wonder if we'd ever change things. And we got talking and how our lives are quite similar. You've dated younger, you've been divorced, all of these things. And I wondered what your advice to yourself would be with hindsight. We all wish we had it. I don't know if my younger self would listen because I don't know when we're younger, if we get it, you know, I just wish I had made my mistakes faster. They were all very productive choices in terms of lessons learned. I, I was always on kind of a strangely, I guess because of the generation that I, I was in, which was ages ago, we were kind of searchers, or at least I was, you know, we had hallucinogens and weed and all kinds of new kind of religious practices. I'm a lapsed Catholic, so I broke away from that discipline. Um, but it's still, I was always aware and searching for ways to be a better person, uh, uh, ways to be more connected to nature. 
uh, you know, all of those disciplines. And so I had a pretty open heart. I've got to say, you know, in terms of the drugs that rolled in after my generation, my generation, those were more opening kind of searching. Timothy Leary was a dear friend of mine. But in terms of men or, you know, things that I had to learn because of who I chose in my life, brought toward me in my life, I wish that I had kind of done it faster and I wish I'd had a little more fun, honestly. I mean, what do you mean? You know, just earlier in life? No, just all through my life. I mean, I, I worked all the time. First of all, I'm the oldest of nine children, so that had a built-in job, right? And then I, uh, I went to college and I had to work myself, work my way through. I cleaned apartments and cut hair and worked on the switchboard. And then I went right into the business at 20. I was in a hit movie and I just kind of fell into it. I had no intention of being an actor. I had no dream of, you you know, I was kind of a spacey kid who was always playing make-believe, but I had never heard of, you know, art and commerce together. I I wanted to get away from New Jersey and my family and, and, and I knew that I wanted to go to college, but it never, I never thought of it as an opportunity to have a career. And then Chris Sarandon and I went to New York he was six years older, five years older, and we went to New York. And within a week, I had I, I was in a film that became a huge hit. And things just talk about manifesting. I don't know if I was manifesting or just incredibly lucky, but I was able to pay back my school debt and I was working all the time and at the same time trying to figure out who I was as one does when one's in their 20s. So I never had a period that looking back felt like, Oh, let's just take off and be be irresponsible. I I always worked, you know, that remained true. So when I look back on it, I was either a mother or working and, and I love what I do. I mean, this was a perfect kind of job for me um, because you, it's like so many reincarnations, right? You get to be all these different people and you learn in detail about different times and places and you realize you get almost an enforced compassion because you realize that were you to put yourself in the position of someone under these other circumstances that you thought you never could be in, you find that you have so much more in common with everything, with other women. with And, and so the two careers, searching and being an actor, kind of facilitated each other. And, and then if you can imagine, then you have empathy. And then if you have empathy, that leads to activism. So it was a very organic kind of evolution of, of who I am. So I, I don't look back and think that I did anything wrong, but I wish that first of all, I had understood that I was beautiful, which I didn't at the time. And I wish that I had just the mistakes, the lessons that I was learning kind of showed themselves. And I really needed to be hit over the head with them before I, you know, moved on to the next lesson sometimes. So I wish in that sense that I had just made the mistakes that I made much quicker. That's all. It's funny because watching, you know, one of my earliest memories of you is obviously, which is every girl's dream movie, Thelma and Louise. So I remember watching this and it's funny that you say, you say that you didn't, you wish you'd had more fun because that movie is so 
you know, embodies what everyone kind of feels or who you are. Like, and I, you know, drive Thelma is one of the greatest lines in movie history, as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, I think that the freedom and the, the lesson that the women, women got from that movie, from you, in a way, it's so funny that you don't feel like you really, that you went to work and you didn't have that freedom in your real life. And that maybe your career life has given you the ability to live all that. I mean, I'm looking now, I know that you, you, you got married very, you know, straight from college, right? Well, even before in my senior year, because I was at the Catholic university and we couldn't, I was living with my grandparents, God bless them, who put me up because I didn't have the money. I wouldn't have had the money to be in boarding and be in school. So I chose the school where my grandparents were. As I say, I was doing a lot of odd jobs. And then I met Chris Sarandon, who was a graduate student and a big deal on campus. And when I was 17, I start, I, I was in college at 17. And so we kind of eventually dated, eventually my first sexual experience. And I was so grateful. <laughs> I decided to get married and only because we would have gotten kicked out of school. So we agreed that we would decide every year whether or not to renew because I didn't like the idea of taking it for granted. So every year we would decide if we wanted to stay married. And after seven years, we decided mutually to move on, which was, you know, how many people can actually stay married for a lifetime to the first person they sleep with? And that would be quite an accomplishment, right? So let's take a break from the show and let me tell you about these new razors I found. They're called Billy. They're bright, they're bold, they're fun. I actually found Billy on the weirdest way because, you know, I was out and my girlfriend's legs looked so shiny and smooth and I was kind of jealous. So I just felt her leg for whatever reason, as girls do, and she told me she started using Billy. So I decided to look it up, loved what they were doing, and that's how I got hooked. Um, I don't know about any of you, but I am a shaver. So I've been using uh, men's, women's, anything I can get my hands on until I found Billy. I love the look of them in my bathroom anyway, because they're super cute, which always helps. And they are the smoothest shape ever. Really good if, if you've got sensitive skin. I really can't believe how soft they make my legs feel, which is so important to me. And it sort of lasts longer than I'm used to, which is also important to me because I'm don't have the time to do it every day, nor do I particularly want to. So go to mybilly.com to meet the razor that makes everyone want to talk about razors. They're also Allure's best beauty winner and Nylon's beauty hit list for a reason. And to express a little love for our show, go to mybilly.com slash dnd. It's a small way you can support us while getting the best razor that you'll ever own. It's just $9 to get the starter kit, plus free shipping always. Go to mybilly.com slash dnd, spelled my, B-I-L-L-I-E, dot com slash dnd. Let's get back to the show. We hold ourselves up to a standard that doesn't actually exist. And, you know, do, were you open with your daughter about things like this? Like, because we, we live in a world that we're still told that's the ideal and that's what we're meant to have and we're failures if we haven't 
achieved it. Well, my daughter is predictable as a complete traditionalist. <laughs> she takes marriage very seriously. She wanted to get married. She had boyfriends before. I mean, it wasn't that she held out and was a virgin on the eve. By, but that's what I mean. She had a lot of fun. And when she decided to get married, she um, took it very seriously and then had a very beautiful divorce afterwards after three children. And they have worked out a very kind and giving a situation with her ex. And now she has a, a new boyfriend. It's a tricky thing with kids. I think you show them by example. I think that she, you know, is a very, very good mother and a very kind person and, but has prided herself on being very different than I am in a lot of ways. And I think that that's really You'll see with your kids, I think at some point, especially if you have a mom that's visible or, quote, famous, the disconnect to be able to separate is much more difficult because every sentence has your name in that sentence when, they, when they're talked about. And so the, the separation has to be much more serious and uh, sometimes painful. And to declare who they are separate from you. And um, she's done that. And she's done an amazing job and has kind of a sense of humor. We actually wrote a series that almost went that was about kind of that dynamic of this mother who, well, the way she wrote it was a complete crazy gypsy. <laughs> practically, she was raised in a caravan. And then the daughter, who is very traditional and practical, it's kind of like an ab fab situation, you know, that, that dynamic. And I think that happens quite quite often. But um, I hope that my kids were raised with a sense of kindness. I told, I always told them just, if you can be authentic and kind, that's it, you know, just strive for that. And there'll be some ups and downs and, you know, you'll get through it. If you get through one catastrophe, you'll find out you can survive, you know, all of them and you get stronger and stronger that way. And I think that when you have privileged kids, that's what you rob them of is their ability to know that they are capable of surviving on their own and, and can get through situations that are tough and that they have those reserves that, you know, you find out when you're at the bottom that you discover and you develop. And I think sometimes though my kids have a very, are very flexible and adaptable and have a big picture of the world, they have been privileged. The only thing I could do is make sure they understand that they're privileged and that they're grateful for that and they don't take that for granted. So that's kind of what I've focused on in terms of, of raising them. And then do you think because of your, with your first marriage, that's why you didn't want to get married again in your second marriage? Like, you know, you spent 25 years with somebody else or 23, was it? You decided not to get married this time round. No, I never wanted to get married the first time. I just thought that it was something we had to we had to do it because we couldn't live together at that time if we weren't married. So it just made everything much easier. But I just always was afraid of taking each other for granted because you're married, you know, waking up in the morning and having to recommit. But of course, after a while in a relationship, if you get a bunch of kids and a bunch of real estate and you've been together for 20 some, you do. I mean, it's hard not to take each other for granted. But I don't know, just for me, I, I wasn't interested in it. I don't know why my parents were married. It wasn't a big deal. I just, it just never held anything for me really. And, um, I felt it was 
maybe it was a fear, you know, of losing your identity when you become a couple is so easy to have happen. Maybe it was partly that. And I always, one thing I did always stress with my daughter was to have your own income. It is the most important thing. It's the one thing I hear on here for women who really get stuck. You text me after you heard about my divorce and you always said, be kind and don't fight about money. The one good thing that I took away from that was I shared a lawyer with my ex-husband. I, I always know that the only person that wins in a situation like that is a lawyer. And it's so much nicer to come out with some sort of friendship at the end of this, because you're both normally good people. You just, not, you just run its course. Yeah. And I, I think my daughter had a mediation uh, that lasted four hours and, you know, they've worked it out and get this, she was pregnant. So she got a divorce when the baby was born. He was downstairs as she was giving birth in her bedroom. I mean, it's an amazing story because she's got three kids under six. So I don't think I would have had, you know, I stayed put much longer thinking that, the, you know, I couldn't disrupt things, especially when it's a quality of life decision and you're not in, endangered in any way, you know, you kind of keep pushing through thinking that that's best for the kids, but to do it when your kids are tiny. And then of course it hits bumps when somebody starts dating someone else or, you know, the holidays come up and you have to negotiate things. Not to say that it's smooth sailing, but it is important to always keep the kids foremost in your mind for sure. So let's take a little break from the show and discuss uh, one of my favorite things, clothes and styling, because as you all know, I used to be a stylist. So this is perfect for me. As we all know, online shopping can be really daunting. There's just so much out there and you never really know if things are going to fit. The returns are difficult and you don't even know which store to start in, do you? So this season, let Stitch Fix do all the hard work. Stitch Fix offers clothing hand-selected by expert stylists for your unique size, style, and budget, which is perfect for people on the go. It's completely different and a fun way to find clothes that you'll love to wear. And every piece is chosen for you by an expert stylist, and it's an easy solution to finding what makes you look and feel your best. Try on pieces at home before you buy and keep what you love and return what you don't. Stitch Fix has free shipping, easy returns and exchanges and a prepaid envelope included. So there's no subscription required. Try Stitch Fix once or set up automatic deliveries and you'll pay just $20 styling fee for each box, which gets credited to your pieces, uh, whichever ones you decide to keep at the end. And there's no hidden fees ever. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash DND and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com slash DND for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. Stitchfix.com slash DND. Let's get back to the show. I mean, that was another thing you said to me that you, because I said I was through the worst of it. And you said, yep, yep, just wait till one of you dates. <laughs> and it was me first, but you know, we're okay. We're still good. And I got through Christmas. I actually got through Christmas with my ex and it was really nice. But you know, I don't know how it's going to go when he starts dating. You never know. The women are normally the difficult one when they come in. You also, actually, I didn't know this, also dated somebody 35 years younger than you. And I thought I was doing quite well at 18. Do you think that long-term relationships can work with an age gap like that? I know you had five years. 
actually 30 years. Let's not exaggerate. It wasn't 35. It was just 30. <laughs> That's amazing. You are so forward for your time. I mean, this is like ground, like it's groundbreaking now, but back in the day as well, like it, people just didn't do this this way around women. Well, it was also a big deal that I had a child and I wasn't married to Eva's father. And, you know, Louis Ma was 14 years older, but then both Tim and Franco, who are the father of my sets of children, were 12 years younger. I I think it has to do, you know, with the the person. But in my case, it wasn't the age. I, I don't know. Could it have gone on indefinitely? Probably not. But I obviously am dating 18 years younger. You seem to have a penchant for it too back in the day. Why? I mean, I know why for me, because I'm not ready to grow up. I went to boarding school from the age of six. And clearly I've, I'm just not ready to enter the adult world. I feel like our life is adult enough, which is probably same for you because you work from so young. I suppose the the thing to do would be to find a way to be playful through your entire life and responsible. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. You know, there is a way to face each day in a playful way. And I find that one of the problems of finding guys in my age bracket is that so many of them are just trying to preserve the status quo at this point and hold on for dear life. And they're not open and curious and by fun, that's what I mean, not necessarily taking risks or getting fucking drunk or whatever, is to just be open and say, oh, let's do that. Let's do that. And I think that can, doesn't have to go with aging. I mean, I don't think that that is a requirement for being responsible. I think that you can do both. And and it depends on, Sergio was out, he was a professional, right? The guy that I was with had been out on his own since he was 16. That's different than sometimes you can find someone who's 35 and still is incredibly immature and doesn't, you know, hasn't experienced anything because he's been very sheltered or whatever. I think it depends on the person ultimately. Did you feel though the age, like, the way you looked compared to the way, because that's what I worry about, like later, you know, will it, does it become hugely apparent? Because women do age faster than men, or you don't think it matters? Well, I think if you find the right guy and he's interested in the right things, then it doesn't matter. I mean, again, I think that what's inside is going to be what keeps somebody to be challenged. You want a relationship where, I hate to say people are growing together, but you, because it sounds so kind of throwback to the 60s, but you do want someone who, where you keep moving forward, where you're incredibly productive. That's another thing. You know, is this somebody that takes your energy and and you're wasting your energy trying to maintain the relationship instead of a relationship where the two of you together makes more energy, makes more uh, curiosity, makes more, more of your heart open? You know, is this someone where you can know that if you're not looking good and you haven't bathed, it's not going to be held against you later. Or if you age, that it's not going to be held against you. Because we are constantly changing and we can't hold on to everything. We have to find a way to make that change uh, something that's beautiful and not something that seems terrified, you know, because that is inevitable. If you're with someone who's much younger, I don't know that you look to say, oh, I don't know, in 20, 30 years, what's going to happen? I think you have to stay as much in the the present as possible. How do, how do I 
express my love in a way that I haven't before? How do I keep using that muscle, that love muscle to get it stronger and stronger and to spread to everyone that's in my bubble? is to how do I now reach into the world? How do I find a way to take the love that he's showing me or she's showing me and, and expand on that? That's, that's what I think you have to focus on uh, and not worry about later because uh, who knows? I mean, if, if anything lasts, if anyone lives, if anyone, I mean, it's life's expectancy is kind of arbitrary. There's no guaranteeing your plane doesn't go down. There's no, you know, I don't have to say all these things. So for me, the problem was more that I was in the limelight and there was a lot of negative because of the age difference. Initially, a lot of the uh, negative demeaning press towards him. My career was more established and was bigger. And it seemed eventually to him, he wasn't, after five years, he just couldn't deal with the anger that he had towards what seemed like everything was about me. Yeah, He wasn't developed enough. Now that could have had to do with age. You know, you'd have to find someone who's very secure, whether they're younger, if you're a famous person and a person that everyone's talking about it's the same thing for your kids as it was for him in a way you know because it, it's always going to be about you and that's that is the issue that is a problem for anyone in your life and it's hard because it's there's nothing you can do about it as much time as you give specifically to the two of you together as happy as you are you know even when you're with someone who say another actor who has a career or whatever if they're not secure in their and themselves your success, your joy drives them crazy. Was it ever better when you dated actors? Was it better than a normal person for you, like in your relationship together? Ultimately, there's always the question of if that person is doing well with the hurdles that they have in getting older and their career changing and their being dissatisfied because it's a terrible business. I'm perfectly fine with the fact that it's a terrible business because I enjoy collaboration with other people. And it doesn't matter to me if it's the lead or a supporting role. You know, I find each time teaches me something different. And I really, I just did a job that was so much fun. It was an ensemble thing, but I had so much fun. Then I did it. I've done a few things since in, in the midst of COVID, but sometimes, especially men, it's hard for them to go from a leading actor to a supporting character actor. And if you're in the way and having a good time and they can't figure out how you're still having a good time, <laughs> it drives them crazy. And I don't even have a press person. I don't have a manager. I've never had a manager. I've never, you know, everything just kind of flows with me. And so that can also be incredibly annoying if you're trying like crazy to wrench some kind of something from a business that you feel is owes you something. You know, it's hard. Being a white, entitled male is difficult because it's very <laughs> hard to understand when things don't go your way. You're so entrenched in your privilege that you, no matter how smart you are, there's a certain gene that is, leans very close to narcissism. It's hard to be in that position because everything has to do with you. And then when it doesn't go your way, 
it's really extraordinary. And I think raising sons has taught me so much. I knew what it would be like to raise a daughter and she's strong and beautiful and, you know, and, and has had to work and she's very self-sufficient. And my boys, you know, it's a completely different set of obstacles because of the way the world is. I've got two boys and, and boys suggest they do love their moms. They love their moms slightly more than girls do. I enjoy that relationship so much and I'm dying to meet them as, you know, older, older people and see who they become. Whereas, you know, my daughter is always already in that place where, you know, she is embarrassed by what I do. And obviously I don't do anything, you know, close to what you do. It's interesting to see the reactions to her and what, what she enjoys and what she doesn't. My first is a girl, my second is a boy, and they definitely developed along the lines of the typical male-female interests and abilities. And then I had another boy and he was completely different than the other boy. So then I had to step outside of the cliche and see how each of them is really unto themselves. And, and I found, maybe you'll see this, that, you know, when they're in school and middle school, which is a nightmare, and then high school, which is even, you're really at the mercy of their peers and a lot of things. And they, and then as they get out of high school, they go back to the essence of who they were when they were tiny and they become themselves completely. But they're so influenced by their peers and peer pressure and, you know, trying to be liked or, you know, just having to deal with the whole thing. And especially now online is even makes things even more of an echo chamber. And, uh, but then eventually they go into this other place that is where they're teaching you and you're rereading the things that you read at one time with them. And, you know, they're turning you on to music and, and films. And then you're like, Oh, this is why I had children. Now I know. And now they're educating me. This is fabulous. Children bring a whole nother, it makes it go from just about you and them to being, you know, a team to, I mean, it's even harder when they're not your children. It's so hard to keep the fun and the, and the private times of the two of you and just the lightness of a relationship. It gets lost in things, you know, that you have to do and children never, never act the way you want them to. They're wonderful additions, but you better have a strong relationship because if there are any cracks, it certainly magnifies them. You know, it's incredibly hard to keep things like that going. Well, especially if you've made the mistake at the beginning of your relationship to be the one that's doing a lot, treating your guy as a child, then it becomes really complicated, you know, and you find out more and more how much attention they need, you know, because raising kids, especially when they're small, is a lot of work. And, you know, when young women say to me, I'm thinking of having a child. And I, I said, well, just make sure that you want that child because you're going to be the one that is doing most of it. It's just designed that way. Even if you have a guy who says he's completely behind it, they don't have a clue and you have to educate them. And sometimes it just doesn't work. They just don't get how constant. And my kids are still on my mind all the time. I, I always, if I haven't heard from my boys or I check in with my daughter, I mean, that doesn't go away. That is forever. And so sometimes guys just cannot deal with that. And you have to be, and I was not, very clever about carving out 
some way to feed their ego and give them time and find romance and you know climb a mountain or whatever you're going to do with them to make them feel special my sons are jealous of my relationship definitely they feel you know jealous of my relationship with sergio and i i know that that's a juggling act for me as well, well. Then you have to be careful because you yeah that is annoying and they're very protective you also can't give them too much power because that's not fair either. So my kids were very, are very hesitant and, you know, want to know exactly someone's intentions and all of that. And which I appreciate, but it's not always their business to choose. That's a lot of power to give to somebody. Ultimately your boys want to see you happy, but it is difficult because they're, you're very close with them and, and you're gone a lot and then you're in and, you know, trying to figure out what time is their time and what time is his time. But didn't this period where he was helping out, did that change that relationship? Did they feel closer to him? Yeah, it has. But, you know, I, I told you about my, his relationship with Zach, which is the one that's, it's complicated. My other son doesn't really care. But Zach is like, he, you know, obviously they, he can't understand the difference between my relationship with him and him. So he doesn't get why, you know, Sergio gets to sleep with me every night and, and he doesn't. And that's a big thing for him. You know, he doesn't understand why Sergio gets to sit with me. Like now during COVID, Sergio would come into the room, mind you, at the end of the, he'd go and sit on the end of the bed and sit there all day. But he'd be like, well, you won't let me in here, mummy. So he just doesn't get the different type of relationship that we have. And I don't, I don't want to necessarily explain that to him, obviously, other than one is an adult relationship and one is a little, you know, is, is a relationship between me and him. But, you know, then what happens is I do separate time to go and spend the day with him. And, you know, then he'll come back that night and he's already made plans with somebody else. And then he goes, okay, we'll do it. We'll do it the next day. And it just doesn't work like that. And so then, you know, they don't understand a schedule. They don't understand that, you know, you put time aside and that's the time, the actual time they have to have. I think you have to continue to try to make them understand because you're the captain of that ship. And it's important that there are boundaries because if there aren't boundaries, that also makes them frightened. If they don't know what the rules are, especially as they're getting older, it becomes really important to get them out of your bed as if they're a boy. You know, that's going to have to happen because it's going to be too confusing. I remember I would sing to my kids every single night and lie down with my boys. And then at a certain point, Miles just looked at me and said, you know, you don't really have to lie down. <laughs> because once they start to feel sexual, it starts to get complicated. And I think you have to be maybe a little tougher to, to help them through that and do special things and say, well, this is a special time. And, you know, you get that if you're going to go off with your friends now, we're going to lose our special time. It gets better, but it never gets easier. As well, kid. you must have been away a lot yourself from filming. How did you do that? No, I dragged them with me all over the place. Because I would get stuff from their school that they could do in New Orleans or whatever. But then when they became teenagers, they didn't want to miss. They didn't want to miss what was going on. They had this sense they didn't want to leave school. And I would schedule a lot of things during the summer. The big movies, Thelma and Louise was during the summer. The client was during the summer, but they were younger then. And then, or over Easter break, so that I would go for a couple of weeks and then they would come to Australia. And we kind of did it that way. But at a certain point, they wanted 
me to go away. <laughs> you know, they were like, mom, really take the movie. You, Cause I would explain to them what was coming up and why I was doing it and whatever. But for their whole time when they were younger, I managed to either shoot in New York, a stepmom I produced. So we shot in New York and I figured out going over Christmas. And then we went to Morocco during that together and then came back and finished the movie. And, you know, I was able, but I didn't work constantly, but I did work pretty regularly and then just took them, took them a, a number of times on location, especially when they were younger and would find someone wherever we were that would help to teach them, you know, we would get a curriculum that had to do with architecture or history, or, you know, they would take their math books with them. But I found a school from the very beginning, and now kids are learning anyway, remotely. I just took them and found a school that would support that. And, but then, as I said, in high school, they started not wanting to, to go you never struggled with finding, because they always say as well, getting divorced, you're never going to find someone else that wants your, your kids or takes on your children. But you had like, you had relationships and long-term relationships and you didn't seem to. Didn't Tim was great. I don't, I don't know that I would have. Tim and I met during Bull Durham and my daughter adored him. It really didn't happen during Bull Durham, but then after Bull Durham, when he had cleaned up his life and I had cleaned up my life and we, we started seeing each other because he was based in LA. He came to New York and we weren't living together yet, but we were together. I mean, it, it was very important that she already loved him and was, he thought she was great. His parents were very, kept saying, you know, having a stepdaughter is really going to be difficult, whatever. And I kept saying, think of her as a bonus daughter. She's not your stepdaughter. She's your bonus daughter. You're getting, and then I got pregnant right away with Jack almost immediately. And so then we just started having a, a family and then three years later, another kid. But definitely with my boyfriend that was younger, he, he was very jealous, really jealous of the boys. Didn't, you know, and I think part of it was because he didn't have a close relationship with his mom. And he saw that it drove him crazy. He didn't, he was jealous, definitely. I find it so amazing that you have such an amazing maternal, beautiful bond with your children, but also such maternal instinct for everybody around you. You know, even just the advice you've given me over the time I've known you, it's so lovely and you're so warm. And to not to know that you didn't have that or you didn't get that back is, it's an amazing thing that you have that empathy for other people. Empathy, I think, has really, as I said, I think is tied somewhat to the process that I have in, in my job. It's just one of the first things that you develop. And that's why it's always shocking to me when people are in this business and they don't, you know, because it's imagination and then empathy and then action, really. How could you not act on that when you can imagine what that mother must be going through? But I think that I, you have to be careful. If you're a person who does for other people. And that's a very strong part of your identity, which it is for me. You have to make sure that you do so without, in your mind, profiting from that without, you have to not expect thanks. You have to do it because it brings you pleasure to do it and not expect recognition and not expect thank yous and not, you know, to make sure that you go about it in a way that is the right way. And it becomes sometimes very difficult for people like that to ask for help. 
because you're not used to asking for things. You're not used to people taking care of you. And so that's been tricky for me is that I find that I don't, it doesn't occur to me to ask for help when I, sometimes when it should. I, mean, I So has it made you softer with men, you know, like more nurturing with men or are you quite, are you the tough leader? No, I'm so t- over nurturing. This is the problem. <laughs> I do too much. And so then, you know, who wants to fuck their mother after a while? You know, I have to learn <laughs> to pull back and not do everything. And, and, and also with everybody, you know, just say, hold my breath sometimes with my kids and say, well, they'll figure it out. I don't know. You know, I did a, a movie called the meddler, which you should watch. It's so funny with Rose Byrne. And it's a woman who just is in everybody's life. Her husband has died and she was very close to her husband. And now she has this one daughter, Rose Byrne, and she, you know, arrives every day with bagels on the front door. And she's, you know, and everyone she meets, she's somehow in their life helping a lesbian arrange a wedding that she doesn't even know. I mean, it's just a very funny movie. The gal that directed it, who did the stripper movie with Jennifer Lopez, you know, and it's got a lot of comedians in it. It's, it's one of my favorite movies that I've done. It's a little movie. But I bring bagels every time I go to my kids, you know, in LA, I'll be carrying bagels on the plane. And I used to bring creme brulee to Tim every time I went anywhere because he liked creme brulee. I'd be carrying creme brulee on a six hour flight. I mean, that's insane. I love thinking of great gifts for people or, but I had to learn to really pull back where men aren't concerned, definitely. I'm still learning that. I have a sense of humor about it. But yeah, this is me always finding little ways. Then you, Susan, what are you like at this point in your life? What kind of man is the kind of man that you would like in your life? Someone who's been vaccinated for COVID. So we don't have to. (laughs) So you can hug. (laughs) That would be good. Oh my God. Can you imagine dating right now? Horrendous. Oh, I mean, this is not the time. I just, I don't care if it's a man or a woman. I mean, I'm open to all age, all color. Those for me, those things are just, um, you know, details. But, But what I'm interested in is someone who wants to be adventuresome. I mean, at this point, I'm not, they have the luxury of not needing to start a family. I have plenty of family. You know, I, somebody who is passionate about what they do, they could be a school teacher or they could be a writer, or they could be successful or not successful, but there's somebody who owns themselves and isn't going to be intimidated by people coming up on the street to you and saying, oh my God, I love you. You know, that kind of thing, because that's there's no way around that. This has been the first time I've been on my own. This has been the first time I haven't been getting up with an agenda almost every single day of what has to be done, you know, because of work or because of charities or because of whatever, you know, to this has been a real interesting period for me to say, oh, I don't have to get up this morning and not checking off things on a list and to not have that structure, to not have somebody that I'm that gets another vote about everything in my life, because that's the way that I've been from the time I was tiny. And so I'm kind of getting off on being by myself and um, open. I think I'm pretty open to the idea of, of being with someone, but it certainly would take something extraordinary to share my medicine cabinet at this point. I think that that those days are over. I was just going to ask you if you could live with someone now. I probably, you know, I probably know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know about that. I'm, I'm loving walking around naked without any 
<laughs> all the time. You look amazing, by the way, like really amazing. I mean, just listening to you, you're so ahead, your whole view of life is so ahead of its time, which is what I really enjoy about you, that you have, it's true, it's amazing to me because everything that we're still fighting against today, you must have gone tenfold for because it was even less possible back when you when you were younger. It's crazy that you had the foresight and the strength to stand on your own as a woman at that time and say, fuck it, I'm going to live the way I want to live. And I love that. And I think that's why you're so loved and so respected that you've always followed your own path. Thank you for that. It certainly hasn't been something that consciously has happened. I have had a pretty good you know, when people say to me, well, Thumb and Louise, it was such a feminist film. I was like, no, we were two women on the road who were true to each other and who were, you know, not settling, but we didn't see it as a feminist film. We saw it almost like a cowboy film. And I don't think there was... Susan, you don't understand. I mean, maybe you don't see it because you were in it. Yeah, but I guess that's what I'm saying is that I, I think we have to form community now. And community means, I mean, that's going to be the important thing. I think governments are pretty corrupt and it's very difficult to expect the top to in any way serve the community. And I think now we have to focus on building communities and the uh, acceptance and the protection of those who are more vulnerable uh, among us. And with that in mind, you end up getting a label of a feminist or a humanist or a fighter for people's rights. But that's a very natural thing to want to do. And now that we have you know, trans populations who are finally being recognized, for instance, or racial divides that in this pause that COVID has given us with no distraction of football or award shows or all the things that, you know, after every event would take us away to someplace else, we have to have the opportunity now to really look around and say, ah, you know, what is outside my bubble? What is, what is going on other places? What is, you know, what do I care about? Because the energy that you put into your life creates who you are. And so, you know, that is something that I think we all have to keep remembering in the long run, like 20 years from now, who will that person be? You know, there's, you have to keep that in mind. And I think right now, this most important thing are helping our children to form community and to, I mean, I, I don't know. Every time they ask me to write a book, I say, look, I, I don't know the answers to any of this stuff. Don't, don't ask me to do that. It is just your wisdom of seeing it, helicoptering yourself in a way. Well, maybe we have to, when you say, who am I? I want people that are asking questions. What happens is as you get older, everyone tries to stop changing, stop, stop aging, stop, hold on to this, hold on to that. And I think the secret is letting go. The secret's always letting go. And, and I'm sure you, I'm not telling you something you don't know, but trying to find the flow of your life, trying to, to, to go with toward the lightness, as you said, you know, and, and not getting bogged down. If I had to talk to my younger self, I would say, do not get caught up in these little details that in 10 years will mean nothing, nothing, or people that will mean nothing. Do not give them that power. 
you know, just keep your sense of humor. Sometimes when we have to do things as a family and my boys are like, this person drives me crazy or what am I said, try thinking of this as a sitcom. You're in a sitcom. This would be hilarious if this was a TV show, right? And they go, yeah. And I say, okay, well, that's what we have to do is just look at the humor of what this means, how absurd and chaotic and prejudiced this person is or how, you know, mean this person, it's just, Keep your sense of humor. Try to do that, and that'll that'll get you through. But don't get too drunk because that definitely backfires. <laughs> don't get too high; that'll backfire. I'm going to hold you to a drink if I ever get to New York, Susan. This was so amazing. Like I really loved hearing your perspective on life and hindsight and your children. And, you know, we all here doing the best we can. Everyone does the best they can, and you never know what has formed this edge that is now cutting into you and you have to, you know, protect yourself to a certain extent, but also forgive and move on. The more walls you put up, the more in trouble you are, you know, really. Really, really appreciate your time. You've no idea. This was amazing. And I, you're an incredible woman. And I love that you've lived, literally, you are paving the way for women. Thank you for listening to Divorce Not Dead. Tune in next Wednesday for a new episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear from you. Follow me on social media at, at Caroline Stanbury for all the behind-the-scene action. 